1: Interesting, finally happened on cable news yesterday, which I think is a rarity in and of itself because, honestly, so much of what's on cable news I find to be so predictable and boring and uh, formulaic and just based on uh, partisan talking points and uh, people coming out to the, the cheap seats. Yesterday was the heavily promoted... Heavily anticipated debate between Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, also a Republican presidential candidate, and the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, and someone that has been mentioned from time to time as either a replacement for Biden if Biden decides or, or is unable to run for whatever reason, or someone that might be a candidate in future elections, maybe 2028, twenty twenty eight, twenty 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 thirty two, whatever the case may be. And uh, I um. Was driving at the time that this debate started at nine o'clock Eastern. So I have uh, you know satellite radio. I was able to put it on Fox News Channel and listen to it. I'll give you my impressions in a minute. I'm curious to hear yours at eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. I um, by the way, in uh, about twenty three minutes, we're going to talk with Jeremy Scott of Into the Parabnormal. Abnormal. I got incredibly positive feedback. To the segment that we did yesterday over Congress's attempts to block the UAP Disclosure Act and the Tucker Carlson commentary on that and the comments from Congressman Tim Burchett. I'm going to follow up with that with uh, Jeremy Scott in just a bit, and uh, Russell Brand has some interesting to say on the CIA's role on that. We'll get into that in 23 minutes, but – um let me just say first, I'm not really a, a fan of uh, of Hannity's show I, I, for all the reasons that I just mentioned. To me, it's just, you know, playing to the cheap seats. It's just kind of base, most of the time, base cable news pablum. I, I don't think there's anything unique about it. I don't think there's anything insightful about it. That being said, I think Hannity deserves an enormous amount of credit for putting on this debate. This is precisely What I think we need more of in both journalism and in politics, people from different worldviews, not just politics, but politics, including people of different views, different backgrounds, different areas of expertise, hashing it out on television or on radio over issues that people really care about. Is it going to change the world? No, but I think. Going back to our conversation on Monday with uh, David McCullough III, I think it may help people at least understand why people view things differently from the way that they view them. Now, uh, the problem that I had with this particular debate is there was such a dispute even over basic facts There were various times throughout the debate where either DeSantis or Newsom, and it seemed Newsom was a little bit more guilty of this than uh, DeSantis in the portion that I heard, that they would just completely discount facts. Hannity would say, all right, here are these facts from the CDC. And uh, Newsom would say, oh, that's just not accurate. Well, what are your sources? Why is that just not accurate? So sourcing is always a problem in these debates, but even with that, I think Hannity did a pretty good job. I think we know where Hannity's views are and uh, Hannity's desire to placate his audience, which is mostly right-leaning. I think he did a pretty good job as a moderator. Now, I only heard about the first 45 minutes of it, but that's, I think, most of it. I think it was all told about 90 minutes. I would love to hear your impressions. My impressions were of the following. Now, I heard, keep in mind... The first 45 minutes of it on the radio. Didn't see any of the imagery. I think on the radio, my impression was that um, it was kind of a draw in terms of substance. I didn't think uh, – there's just some something about DeSantis. He's not great in these types of formats. I think you see this in the Republican primary debate so far. He's just – in these types of formats, he's not great. Um. As far as style, it was not even close. Newsom uh, blew DeSantis away, honestly. And again, DeSantis I know is a smart guy. He, there's just something about DeSantis that he just comes across as annoying and whiny. It, it's all, It was almost difficult for me to concentrate on what he was saying at the time because he just strikes me as that whiny kid in school that acts like they know the answer to everything that's always trying to butt in or that kid in school. That's always trying to get you in trouble by telling on you. Newsom came across as, uh, and again, I, I don't, if I had to pick a state based on what their policies were to live in California or Florida, I would absolutely choose Florida. Newsom I thought came across as much more confident much more polished, much more relaxed. Uh, I think that was interesting. And I was listening to this and, again, not seeing the imagery. I was keeping in mind something that uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano had said on the radio yesterday. I was listening to an interview that uh, John Katsimatidis and Andrew Giuliani had done with uh, Andrew Napolitano. And Napolitano was saying that one of the things that he learned from Roger Ailes, the head of the Fox News channel for so many years and formerly the head of CNBC, was he would go into Roger Ailes' office and there would be 30 television sets all with the sound off. And he would say, Roger, why do you have the sound off? And apparently Ailes would tell him, you can tell who's going to work on television just by looking at them visually without even hearing the sound off. So here at the radio station, once I got here, the debate was still going on. And I had a bunch of stuff to record and a bunch of work to do. But they have all the news channels on all the screens here. So I said, let me do what Napolitano suggested and just look at a little bit of this debate with the sound off. So I kept looking up to this debate with the sound off. And I have to tell you, with the sound off, Napolitano was exactly right because Napolitano's prediction was – that you would see Newsom come across as much more likable, much more affable, much more charismatic. And I think that definitely happened. So I watched a portion of it with sound and no picture, and I watched a portion of it with picture with no sound. And my impression was that uh, while I, I think DeSantis has uh, honestly a record as governor of Florida that in many respects he should be very proud of, and he did mention several aspects of that, and I think Newsom has done a lot of terrible things, and really failed to do a lot of good things to ameliorate things like homelessness and other issues. And I think, you know, when it comes to COVID, there's no comparison. I think DeSantis's handling of COVID was a million times better than Newsom's uh, handling of COVID. But I think, as far as the debate goes on both style and substance, I think Newsom. One, I, to the extent that there are winners and losers, and I try not to look at debates that way because it's about it's supposed to be about a an open exchange of ideas and just showing different worldviews to the public, and I think they were effective in doing that. But I think if I had to pick a winner, and I hate to do that, the winner versus loser game, I think Newsom did a better job of explaining his worldview and why he thinks – the country should go in the direction that he favors than DeSantis did. What do you think? 800-848-9222. When I was leaving the house, I asked my wife, hey, uh, just want to remind you that that debate is going on. And she said essentially that uh, she said um, that um, I'm not going to watch it because I can't stand either of them for different reasons. And I said, all right, I guess maybe some people won't watch. I was – that was the first time I can remember being interested in watching or listening to Hannity's show in quite some time. Curious what you thought. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. If you didn't hear it, here's a little bit of uh, what took place yesterday as the two of them mixed it up on taxes. He has one of the most regressive tax rates in the United States of America, it's the number
2: three most regressive state in America, and what that means is simply this: Who does he tax? He taxes low-income workers more than we tax millionaires and billionaires in the state of California. The question is a simple one: Who, Ron, are you
3: for? How many people leave Florida to go to California because they pay less taxes? Uh, I've not seen that. Are people going to, from Florida to New York because they pay less taxes? Of course not. They come to Florida because they pay lower taxes. We don't even have an income tax. And yet California has a higher sales tax than we do, and that's one of the things that we do. But here's the thing, and, and, and I'll, give, I'll give Gavin credit. He did at least admit in his first answer. He's joined at the hip with Biden and Harris. He thinks Biden and Harris have done a great job. He thinks the economy is working because of their policies for Americans, and they are not. And so what California represents— is the Biden-Harris agenda on steroids. Uh, They would love nothing more than to get four more years uh, to be able to take the California model nationally. That would be disastrous for working people. As
1: he continues to talk over. And they went back and forth on taxes, and um, you know that's an area where I think if you look at the record, DeSantis has a much prouder record than Newsom does. Uh, property taxes are a little higher in Florida, but there's no income tax. Whereas, as Hannity pointed out in the question, a family, a couple 80, that makes eighty-four thousand dollars a year, they're earning, they're paying six percent of their income in taxes. Here was an interesting area It had to do with people leaving
3: California and what the causes for that were. Natural advantages than any state in the country. You almost have to try to mess California up. And yeah, that's what Gavin Newsom has done since he's been governor. He's the first governor to ever lose population. They actually at one point ran out of U-Hauls in the state of California because so many people were leaving. I'm here. Uh, to tell the truth about the Biden-Harris
2: record and also compare and contrast Ron DeSantis's record and the Republican Party's record as a point of contrast that's as different as daylight and darkness. You want to bring us back to a pre-1960s world, America
1: in reverse. Here is uh, the two of them going after one another on gender transition for minors. Now, this portion I actually didn't hear before, so I'm eager to hear how both of them handled this question.
3: This ethnic studies where they're dividing people, that's what they're doing. But let me just say something about parents' rights, because he says California respects parents' rights. This is rich. He's been telling a lot of whoppers tonight, this may be the biggest. In California, if you're a parent in Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina, your minor child... Can go to California without your knowledge or without your consent and get hormone therapy, puberty blockers, and a sex change operation yeah. all without you knowing or consenting. How in the heck is that well, you know honoring what? parents' rights when you're bringing people from out of state to go around their parents' backs and getting life altering surgeries? That is radical. That you know, is extreme. Ron, these kids that is just an assault on live. parents' rights. You know what? Ron, it's not this for you to decide. Easy. It's, you for, know the what? To it's decide. for the you know what? These these parents to decide. And the parents do not want their to kids survive. going thing. Let these me kids go to these other things. Let me stay on a follow up. Let's turn to survive. the issue of Where's
2: education. Your decency and humanity and grace when it comes to taking, ripping somebody away from their family. Nobody can hear you. That is wrong. That is wrong to you. That should not stand in this country. Let us turn, gentlemen,
1: if I may, to the
2: issue of education.
1: I have to that was one area where I think uh, DeSantis absolutely won that round, both uh, stylistically and substantively. And also, let me say about a word about Hannity because I've been in those situations from time to time when you're trying to restore order when people are talking over one another and it can be very difficult. I thought Hannity did a great job as the moderator of this debate because he didn't insert himself too much. One of the best moderators of debates that I've ever seen – and uh, I'm not just saying this because he's a friend of mine, is Dominic Carter. Because when Dominic would moderate debates, he would make clear what the questions were, and then he would let the candidates mix it up, and then at the time when it was getting unwieldy, he would reinsert himself and kind of get restore order. That's kind of what Hannity did. I thought he, he kept using the term, let the debate breathe, let the issues breathe. I thought he handled it very well, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, five points, of, or uh, depending on how many points, you know, 10 points if we're on a 10 point scale for Hannity. I think this is exactly what we need more of on cable news and in the media in general. And it's exact the, the fact that these are so rare is uh, one of the biggest problems I have with cable news. These days. Here is uh, DeSantis. I did hear this. This was an interesting anecdote, and I was in, it was interesting that Newsom didn't have much of a response to it. Uh, DeSantis talking about where Gavin Newsom's father-in-law lives.
3: I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he's really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, you know, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law.
1: <laughs> and he, Newsom didn't say that he was lying or anything. So I thought that was interesting. This is the last one I'll play for you, then we'll get to your calls. Uh, two open lines if you want to comment.
3: 800 848 Well, this is an app where they plot the human feces that are found on the streets of San Francisco. And you see how almost the whole thing is covered because that is what has happened in one of the previous greatest cities this country's ever had. Human feces is now a, a fact of life, except when a communist dictator comes to town. Then they cleaned up the streets. They lined the streets with Chinese flags. They didn't put American flags there. They cleaned everything up. So they're willing to do it for a communist dictator, so, but they're not willing to do it for their own people. I want to just- get in with- Uh, So
1: there you go. I mean, we didn't have the Newsom response there, but I thought it was an interesting debate. The portion that I heard I thought was interesting. 800-848-9222. What did you think? Silas is on Staten Island. Hello, Silas. How
4: are you doing? Yeah. uh, Everybody could clearly see that Newsom danced around every um, question he was asked. And he wouldn't answer them. And then he had the nerve to stand up there and say that that the president was doing a great job. And then he even dipped down low and says, oh, you can't call her Kamala. It's Kamala. He he, he used every excuse to not answer any question and to keep butting in. I don't don't see.
1: So uh, it sounds like you think DeSantis got the better of him last night.
4: Sure, the two clips you just played. As yeah. far as uh, people leaving California, and I got friends who live out in California. They said you drive down to L.A. There's tent after tent after tent, people living in the street. And he's going to say he's governing better. I've been to Florida just two months ago. It's it's night and day. He, he, <laughs> the thing is, he wouldn't answer a question. Yeah, yeah. Time. There was a fair
1: amount of uh, of uh, of dodging. That's for sure.
4: Yeah, and he does it all the time, and then he has that smug look on his face, you know, like, "Come on, I'm, I'm the guy," you know, and uh, that 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 smirk, and that's what he's got. He 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 has no record to run on. Nobody can tell me that California is being run excellently.
1: <laughs> well, well, as you pointed out, and as DeSantis tried to make the point, I think the. Um, the outward migration from California, it really does show people voting with their feet. Uh, they may not be moving to Florida, as Newsom pointed out regularly, but they are moving to places like Arizona. They are moving to places like Texas. They are moving to places like Nevada, in part to escape the taxes and in part for other reasons, escape homelessness, uh, other concerns, depending on where you're living to things like crime. Yeah, uh, that's why I... Um, I, as I said, I think if you look at their records and the, how things have gone under each of their leadership, Florida and California, I think DeSantis has a much stronger record. I'm just not sure that that was on display in the debate. Now, again, if somebody's going to do the artful dodge on every question, what can you really do? You can't force them to tell the truth. So, um, and I and I I mentioned that I think that uh, DeSantis, excuse me, Newsom continuing to ignore fact after fact is very lame, very lame and uh, not the kind of thing that you do if you're uh, really proud of your record. Ray is in Woodhaven. What do you think of the debate, Ray? Good
5: morning, Frank. Um, It was interesting, but the problem is that neither one, you really can't compare statistically because Florida has cities, whole cities that are full of retirees from the Northeast while California has whole cities of migrants and drug cartel members from Mexico and South America. And governing the two states, mm-hmm. it, it couldn't be more different. So, of course, there's going to be more crime in California. And, of course, there's going to be a more relaxing lifestyle in Florida. And I, but it was interesting, and they did show, you know, the different uh, attitudes that they have. Newsom is far more personable and much better spoken, but uh, in this day and age, DeSantis probably supports the better policies.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's basically what what I'm seeing, uh, Ray. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Uh, Here, one issue where uh, the Democratic position tends to resonate with voters much more than the Republican position is the issue of abortion. And uh, Newsom made sure to make a mention of that yesterday.
2: You've been unwilling to answer this question. Do you, should there be any restrictions on the issue of abortion that you support at all because funding in California you have allocated in your budget $265 million for abortion last year alone. My question, very specific, do you support any restrictions at all on abortion, especially in months seven, eight, and nine, past viability? I'm going to answer that question, but let's talk about the issue of abortion. Let's talk about the issue of abortion. You're going to answer it? I'm going to answer that question. Okay. I'll repeat that. But I think this is important, and it bears repeating. Ron DeSantis signed the most extreme anti-abortion bills in America. He signed a bill banning any exceptions for rape and incest. And then he said it didn't go far enough and decided to sign a six-week ban before women even know they're pregnant, Ron, before women can even access a doctor's appointment. So extreme is your ban that criminalizes women and criminalizes doctor that even Donald Trump said it was too extreme on the issue of the extreme exception that you highlight as it relates to the issue of later term abortion it's almost always because of a fetal anomaly the life of the mother and in those rare cases i trust and answer your question i trust the mother and her doctor to make that decision so in other words i want to be clear on this If a woman and her doctor, for any reason, not for any reason, no, 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 no. I'm asking.
1: See, I I kind of felt in that exchange that Hannity had to pick up some of the slack for DeSantis. He was almost debating Newsom in that instance. And I think Newsom knew that going in. You know what Hannity's politics are, and even if he says he's going to be objective it uh it's challenging to just take your own political views completely out of the uh, equation uh, love to hear your reaction 800-848-9222 bill is in baltimore listening on wcbm hello bill yes
5: uh frank
6: um everything i'm to say is driving towards trump and foreign policy you talked about trump being anti-endless wars like the bushes were is that correct? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, that's, in, in yeah, in some substance. Okay, well, I,
6: I don't artfully dodge some of these questions. Okay, There's I'm not questions. artfully
1: dodging. That's basically what I said. Okay, but well, here's again, the I, I Do if you have a... believe
3: okay, this on. is a
6: worldview thing, sure, a worldview? You sure. said you tolerate different worldviews. Yes.
1: Do you ahead. believe a person's
6: time and place affects the sources they seek for their worldview?
1: A person's time and place?
6: Yeah, the time they're born and the place they're born in. Do you believe that that's?
1: Sure. I I'm imagine doing I'm, doing I'm doing reading a different that. newspaper if I live in China than if I live in New York. Sure.
6: No, what I'm talking about is what year were you born? Uh, I ask,
1: I'm not saying I ask I'm not, not, not answering that. No.
6: OK, well, I'm 70 years old and I was deeply affected by the assassinations of the 60s and deeply affected by the Vietnam War. And so I've made it a passionate effort in my lifetime to understand American foreign policy. Uh, Bobby Kennedy, as a senator, pleaded basically with the nation and with the Senate saying, we are now killing women and children and Mm -hmm. with, you know, our bombing. I mean, do you want our country to be all about that? No, of course. not. And, you know, he was he was killed shortly after that. Right. My point is, is that Trump, I believe, was manipulated by the military industrial complex as every president since President Kennedy has been. And I believe President Kennedy was killed, and there are great sources. The doctors at Parkland just came out with right, a documentary. I spent an hour on this last week.
1: Right, I spent an hour. Uh, I spent an hour on this. So, what's your question exactly about Trump?
6: My question is: Do you really think that he's uh, capable of, of taming the military-industrial
1: complex? Well, I, I, I look. I think to some extent he's shown more of a backbone than other presidents, Uh, but no, I think that the military-industrial complex is going to flex their muscle no matter what. I guess the difference between Nikki Haley and Joe Biden is that they're willing to be enthusiastic handmaidens for the military-industrial complex, whereas Trump at least knows that um, that's the wrong direction for the country and the world. And I think Trump's record in his first term on foreign policy Speaks for itself. There was some military adventurism in places like Syria, and with the uh, with Brady.
6: the he bragged about the yeah, mother of all bombs right, in Afghanistan.
1: And, was, he bragged about all right, telling all right, President
6: Bill, Xi Bill, that Bill. he had just sent missiles into Bill, Syria. Can you not hear me? So my point is, can
1: you not hear me, President? Uh,
6: yes, I hear, but okay, hear so, me. All right, President well, Trump's ego is how they manipulate him.
1: I, I don't disagree with that. I think you're exactly right. Right. They come to
6: him and say, Mr. President, if you want to be strong and great, we've got to bomb this person. We've got to do this again. He will go along with it because his ego is his weak point.
1: Bill, I completely agree with that. I also think and I've said this repeatedly, and this is one of the reasons that I would have a, a very difficult time voting for Trump. The people that he appointed to almost every important position. People like John Bolton, people like General uh, McMaster, people like uh, uh, people like uh, you know General revealed Kelly. his ignorance. I, I, revealed his well, okay. ignorance. Bill, since so you're not letting me speak, I'm going to end no, our call. I don't mean- Thank you. Uh, I think the people that Trump appointed they demonstrated a not only um, an indifference to the views that Trump campaigned on. But an open hostility, and the more that we've read about the people that worked in the White House, in the memoirs that they've wrote, wrote, especially people like Mark Esper and John Bolton, not only did they try to get the country to go in a different direction, they deliberately subverted his policy. Uh, And on issue after issue, he issued an order to get the troops out of Syria. The Pentagon just ignored his order. I hope if there is a second Trump administration, it's filled with people like General Doug, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor and Colonel Daniel Davis and not with people like uh, General, Bo- General uh, Mattis and General McMaster and um, John Bolton. That's my hope. We'll see. And Nikki Haley, quite frankly. Um, all right. Speaking of the military-industrial complex, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about their role in subverting the uap disclosure act one of my go-to experts on uaps and all things related to ufos is uh, jeremy scott he does a terrific program called into the Parabnormal. he's going to join us in a moment to give us his take on what all this means for you the public and your right to know straight ahead
0: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Marano. side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files.
3: Midnight in the desert, shooting stars across the sky. Magical journey Will take us on a ride Filled with the longing Searching for the truth Will we make it till tomorrow Will the sun shine on you Midnight in the desert
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. Uh, we have been following the UAP issue very, very closely. And uh, believe it or not, it's not entirely alien from the subject that the caller just brought up, the role of the military-industrial complex. I played for you yesterday a portion of the commentary from Tucker Carlson in which he excoriates the military-industrial complex and some of their allies in Congress for subverting the UAP Disclosure Act. Congressman Tim Burchett, Republican of Tennessee, seemed to say that the the intelligence community was at fault here for the subversion of public disclosure.
4: And I think
0: it'd be wise for you all to start looking at some financial disclosures of some of those corporations,
4: some of the people who do the stonewalling in this town. I want you to think about this. Think about this, that something with the capabilities of traveling light years, not showing uh,
7: a heat signature, and the energy capabilities of that, That would put the Pentagon out of business. We wouldn't be fighting these worthless wars overseas over oil, and American boys and girls wouldn't be dying. It would put the war pigs out of business, and they'd have to go somewhere else, and I'm all for that. So am I. Uh, Jeremy
1: Scott is one of our favorite guests. He is the host of Into the Parabnormal, a terrific show which deals in a wide variety of uh, of issues. You can check it out at paranormalradio.com.
7: Jeremy, it's been too long. It's great to talk to you again. It has and what a perfect opportunity to have me on the air to talk about this subject. Uh, you're right, Frank. Uh, this is, this is really unprecedented stuff. We have members of, of Congress literally battling it out right now for disclosure, not disclosure over, uh, I don't know, metallic bits or weather balloons as they, you know, have told us that's all that Roswell was. And that's all that these other cases are. But there's obviously something so important here. That they have to hide it. What are they hiding, Frank? You, you
1: got me. So break this down for uh, our listeners. Who are the the entities or the people that are keeping this information, which was, by the way, the UAP Disclosure Act was bipartisan. It was uh, Senator Rubio, a Republican, Senator Schumer, a Democrat. There was, uh, pen, there was a tremendous amount of bipartisanship in getting this information out there. So why is it not being released? Who are the entities that are keeping it from being released?
7: Well, according to Stephen Bassett, who was my guest on the program last night and is really the expert on this whole disclosure thing, uh, he says it does come down to uh, the Republicans playing hardball right now. Uh, previously, this has been a nonpartisan issue. It's been a nonpartisan issue for many decades. There have been Republicans, Democrats, independents, and everybody of all stripes and shapes and sizes who have wanted the truth uh, about this to come out. Uh, but at the current point in time, Uh, It is it is Republicans uh, who are are holding this up. Um, And of course, there's a whole bunch of individuals, a laundry list of officials. Uh, These are uh, mostly in the uh, the House, I believe, uh, where this is taking place. And so any Republican members in the House uh, are probably taking a. Uh, a grilling right now from their constituents from voicemails and social media uh posts and and everything in between uh saying look we're we're tired of the cover up. this has been going on much like Tim Burchett, who you played just a moment ago uh who has been saying we 're done with the cover up well apparently uh they're not done with the cover up because the cover up is continuing uh what i suspect is uh, is at play here frank should come as as no surprise to anybody listening to your show i'm sure you've t- talked about lobbyists and outside interests and and the whole nine yards uh many times and i believe that's exactly what what is at play here whether it's uh, the aerospace companies um whether it is this shadow government which is another thing that uh David Grush, the whistleblower back in June, brought back to light, which is that there is this shadow government, something that originates, you know, without congressional oversight, uh, oversight, that maybe uh, those leading these hearings, I I know it's tough to hear, but may not even be aware of, may not be aware that there is Mm. something uh, that operates at at a, a level higher that doesn't have government oversight. Uh, a shadow government, sort of speak. So um, I I suspect that that probably uh, a little bit of that a little bit of the shadow government influence, also some outside interests. And that could include some aerospace companies who likely have some of this technology that they want to try to protect the secrets to. So
1: if you're a congressman that doesn't believe that uh, the UAP information is accurate, that, uh, that, that this is all just, uh, I don't know, just a <laughs> sham, that there's not, no, nothing to this. Why would you not simply say, yeah, let's disclose everything? I mean, have they offered any argument to the public about why they're hiding this
7: material? Well, in some cases, they might think they're doing uh, a good thing. Specifically as it relates to eminent domain, which basically says that if you are in possession, say you're a former government contractor uh, or even uh, a former government employee, and in the course of your work, you came across some of the trade secrets. If you're holding on to this, um, you must come forward, which really stinks to me when I hear that. When I hear uh, about legislation that says we have to hand over everything to the government, uh, it really makes me cringe because the government has been in the business for decades, 75 years or so of covering up the truth about the UAP and perhaps the extraterrestrial reality. Why now would we trust them with anything, whether it's wreckage, whether it's documents, whether it's witness testimony, I think we've uh, they've proven themselves uh, that that we shouldn't trust them. And so because of that, I think some I think that's some of the holdup is is there's some resistance to the whole eminent domain, which basically says hand over everything you have to the government. It was interesting to
1: me that Schumer, back in July when he proposed this in his floor speech, advocating for this, he drew the comparison to the John F. Kennedy uh, Assassination Records Act that passed in the early 90s, which mandated that the government had to release all these documents. And one of the things that we saw was the government continued to stonewall the release of these documents even after they were due to be released. And then just recently, President Biden said, all right, well, we're not releasing any more documents. And the ones that are redacted, that's how they're going to stay. And I think a lot of people that buy the fact that the government knows what the story is here, they don't think that the government will say, all right, well, Congress passed this legislation. Let's uh, just let everybody see everything that we have because we have so much respect for Congress's authority. So uh, I guess right. a two-part question. One, do you think the government actually knows what's going on here? And two, if the government is just going to continue to ignore Congress because of this shadow government that you alluded to and that David Grush alluded to in his testimony, what's the harm in allowing this legislation to pass if they're just going to ignore it anyway?
7: Well, I think if you ask them, they say that, you know, we can't let the truth out, that we've, we basically have, uh, you know, we've held the lid on this for so long. Uh, if we disclose now, uh, basically we're going to blow our cover. Uh, we can no longer keep up, uh, with, with the song and dance, you know, saying there's nothing to see here, which is, which is what they want us to believe that there's nothing to see here. But the more and more you look into this, you, you realize, Uh, But there is a lot to see here. A lot of it is behind closed doors. Uh, It's behind the scenes. We're not allowed access to this. I mean, when you talk about the congressional hearings that have taken place now, there's separate meetings that happen behind closed doors. NASA's even held top secret meetings. What do we do if aliens are revealed? So it's the stuff happening behind closed doors that we should really uh, be concerned about, much like what's happening with the UAP Disclosure Act, much of this is going on behind closed doors it's not going on during public uh, hearings so do they know what's going on? Absolutely how can they not know what's going on uh, the evidence has existed for like I said 75 or more years and it you know you can say you can you could I guess pick and choose what you're willing to accept as evidence but you certainly can't say that there's not enough of it out there. they know, What's going on? And there's a reason that they're going to these lengths to try to keep this from the mainstream, because it's really an issue about this, this getting out into the mainstream. All of us, if you want to accuse those who believe in this as the tinfoil hat variety, look, we already know that this exists. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to prove this to the mainstream.
1: We heard from Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the head of Arrow, which is the uh, Pentagon's essentially UFO watching unit, at the time that David Grush and the other whistleblowers testified before Congress, and basically he dismissed what they had said as um, a lot of bupkis, basically. A couple of weeks ago, when he announced that he was going to be leaving, he viewed this publicly much more credibly. He said, well... All these sightings that we can't explain, they're either aliens or they're a hostile foreign power. Now, that is a world of difference between what he was saying last year. I'm wondering what you make of uh, the fact that Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick is leaving as the head of Arrow and what you make of the change in tone behind what he's saying.
7: Well, let's remember some of the things that he has said. Yes, he has said some of these things after announcing his resignation, but he also said some of these things while he was officially on the job. In fact, in a paper that he drafted in March of this year, along with Harvard professor Avi Loeb, who's the one searching for these uh, these alien spheres sure, at the, on the bottom show. of the ocean. Yeah. Absolutely. He uh, they, they they basically uh, came out with a study earlier this year that says objects could actually be alien probes from a mothership sent to study earth. Did Sean Kirkpatrick mention any of that when he (laughs) appeared just weeks later at the UFO hearing? No, he poo-pooed this issue. Did Sean Kirkpatrick mention, such as when he talked to ABC news in July of this year, that he's worried about technical surprise. Now, for those who don't understand what we're talking about, He's talking about the best of our best being surprised, being caught off guard by something technically in which we don't know how it operates. So it could be a foreign uh, foreign country. It could be a shadow government. It could be one of these private aerospace companies. It could be extraterrestrial. And so he's saying, look, that keeps me up at night. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he's actually kept up at night. But that's what he answered, technical surprise. And then he also has talked about the possibility of alien life crashing, say, in in one of these uh, UFOs, such as what's come out from whistleblowers alleging that the CIA has possession of nine of these craft and two of them have been intact. He's also said that uh, recent sightings could be, as I've said, foreign powers or could be extraterrestrials. But then the very next day or the very next week, he's saying, well, earthly technologies are a greater threat than aliens. So he's going back and forth. He's basically saying, and he's talked about methods of propulsion, how some of these craft exhibit basically uh, characteristics that we don't have the answers to. So I think, and of course the real bombshell is apparently the whistleblowers who are coming forward with some of this information can no longer trust Sean Kirkpatrick. And I think that's that's the reason that he's been shown the door. And I think he was basically given an ultimatum, and he chose to retire. I think he was probably going to retire mm-hmm. uh, before taking this post anyway. But now he's taken a lot of criticism. He's been scrutinized a lot, and maybe it's just not worth it to mm-hmm. him. I mean, it's not an easy job. Oh, and of course. Timothy Phillips. Who, who's going to take over this post now, he's going to face many, uh, much of this same criticism. Uh, but I, I think it comes down to, A, Sean Kirkpatrick is not trusted by those who we need in order to bring this truth forward, and he probably has um, spoken out of turn. I, I don't think that uh, his employer, the Department of Defense, likes him talking about technical surprise. And alien motherships and that sort of thing. You know, uh,
1: since you alluded to that CIA story, before we run out of time, let me just ask you about this. So uh, as you just alluded to, the U.S. government has apparently successfully recovered at least nine non-human craft some in damage conditions from crashes and two in intact conditions that's according to a report by the daily mail and the british paper cited anonymous sources to claim that the cia's office of global access has been retrieving ufos worldwide what do you make of this jeremy who do you think is leaking this and what do you think the motivation behind these
7: leaks is I think it's part of the whole disclosure thing. I mean, I think it it really is. Uh, For instance, let's not forget about the CIA's history, you know, back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s of actually investigating this stuff. Um, Interesting. uh, We've had a former director and also a former CIA agent also after their employment is up. uh, Speak about the possibility of, of this being extraterrestrial. Um, so yeah, the CIA operating a crash retrieval program, again, goes right in line with what David Grush has said, both, uh, in, in interviews and also on the record in Congress. I don't think it's too far fetched. Um, uh, you know, these sources obviously have to be vetted. We have to, uh, uh I, I would hope at some point they would come forward, mm. um, you know, with the, the whistleblower protections that have been granted, uh, which basically says, you know, You you cannot be uh, discriminated against for coming forward with this information, no matter if we think you're crazy or not.
1: I appreciate it. I'm going to have to end it there. Uh, If people are interested in hearing more from Jeremy Scott, you can check out ParabnormalRadio.com. Jeremy, let's talk again soon. Frank Morano, thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight. side at midnight with Frank Marano.
1: A birthday bumper music selection from um, a wonderful young woman named uh, Patrice DiTomaso. She used to be an associate producer on a television program that I uh, co-hosted called Liquid Lunch. You can still see videos of that on the YouTube. And she was great. She was my favorite member of of that staff, and uh, she is uh, just a a wonderful person, and uh, she's celebrating her birthday today. Now she and her boyfriend live in Somerset, New Jersey. I don't think she's in television anymore. She's in project management, but she is no less worthy of a happy birthday than she would be if she was still working in television. All right. I forgot to give my football picks yesterday, so while I only have a minute here, let me go through them quickly. I got uh, ten picks right last week. I am in, I am tied for one, two, three, fourth place in my league. So uh, yesterday, or last night rather, the uh, Dallas versus Seattle game. Dallas was favored by nine and a half points. I did take Seattle. They won. The Cowboys won, but they didn't cover. They didn't win by nine and a half. So my pick of Seattle was correct. Um, The uh, rest of my picks, Chargers are playing the Patriots. I'm going with the Chargers. Uh, The Lions are playing the Saints. I'm going with uh, Detroit. Uh, Atlanta's playing the Jets. I'm going with the Jets. Pittsburgh's playing Arizona. I'm going with Pittsburgh. This is inclusive of the point spread, just so you know. Indianapolis is playing Tennessee. I'm going with Tennessee. Miami's playing Washington. Miami, even though they're heavily favored, I'm going with them. Um, they're favored by nine and a half. Houston or Houston's playing Denver. I'm going with uh, Houston. Tampa Bay is playing Carolina. Very tough because I have a lot of friends that are Tampa Bay fans. I'm going with Carolina. Eagles are playing the 49ers. I'm going with the 49ers. The Rams are playing Cleveland. Got to go with the Rams. Uh, The Chiefs are playing the Packers. I feel like the Chiefs are the much more politically incorrect team name, so I'm going with the Chiefs. The Chiefs, and on Monday night, Jacksonville heavily favored over Cincinnati by 8.5 points. I have to be honest, I was kind of unsure of uh, which way I was going to go in uh, in that game, but ultimately I decided to go with Cincinnati in spite of uh, Jay from Cincinnati being occasionally long-winded when he calls. But uh, those are my picks. So, so far, if you would have taken my picks, uh, you would have had one win. That was Seattle. Hopefully we can get to the point of 12 or 13 wins. We'll see. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it.